SNL with Julia Louis-Dreyfus is over, but we are just getting started here on SNL Live on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who are going to spend the next five minutes talking about this week's SNL. It's Mike Bloom, and I'm joined by Rich Tackenberg. Rich, how are you doing today? Great, Mike. It's great to have you here. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Do you work here? I don't even know at this point. I'm so in and out of my apartment that I might not even be a resident here. So, yes, I'm Mike Bloom. I'm here uh, pinch hitting for Rob Cesarino, who just had a whirlwind of a week over here in New York. I don't know what his CVS stories might be like. I guess we'll find out soon. But uh, I'm pinch hitting for him to talk about this episode of SNL hosted by alum, but probably more well-known for her stuff outside of SNL, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Before we really dive in here, Rich... I would say that of the past three weeks of SNL, uh, Peter Dinklage, some people said, was kind of a bomb. Uh, Russell Crowe, I think a lot of people said was a bomb. In your opinion, after watching this episode, was it three strikes and you're out for this season of SNL? Oh, no. For me, I thought this was I thought this was a a very good episode. I mean, I think that uh, while I would say for me, a lot of the sketches were good, not great. I thought it was a very serviceable run. I was smiling through it. I felt like we got a lot of comedy in this show, Uh, you know, uh, not as funny as some of the season highs like Larry David. But uh, overall, I thought very few misses, uh, uh, you know, and it may be my Pollyannic coming out of Russell Crowe, which was, you know, just, just just a tough, a tough week to come out of. Um, but I thought, you know, just just very serviceable host, really game to do a lot of fun things. Uh, I, I, I don't know that this is one for the record books, but I definitely liked it a lot. Yeah. And I think it definitely benefited from having Julia Louis-Dreyfus as a host. I would consider her yeah. one of the most talented comedians on TV today. I mean, she's won seven Emmys up to this point, including four for her current role on Veep, which I'm assuming is the project that she is pimping out. Interesting that, you know, of our past three shows, two of them were uh, to promote HBO shows. Very interesting synergy between NBC and HBO. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're really obviously pushing very hard. Uh, And I think the timing was right because Larry David has become such a friend of show this season. So to have her come now was 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 really good timing. Yeah, I completely agree. And I say overall, I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was extremely committed to everything. Julia Louis-Dreyfus has a fantastic sense of uh, physical comedy. I mean, there's a reason why the Elaine dance was very popular and the shut up push is very popular is because even in her later work, New Adventures of Old Christine and Veep, she is a a great physical presence. And so I felt like overall, and we'll talk about these sketches, obviously, one by one, but I feel like there was an overall greater sense of physical comedy rather than uh, specific joke writing in this episode. Yeah, I think you're right. I, and, and I think uh, committed committed to a lot of the pieces that I thought worked really well. Um, you know, I think one of the big pieces of physical comedy was probably one of my least favorite sketches of the night. But I still even in it was like, boy, she is all in. She has pushed all her chips into this sketch. She is going to go down fighting and I certainly commend her for it. And we are all in here live on Blab. So if you're in the chat room, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to post in the chat your thoughts and questions as well we'll answer them periodically throughout but let's dive in let's start with our cold open here hey guess what it's a political cold open uh something we've seen probably every episode this season so far (laughs) but this is a a democratic presidential debate uh obviously taking material from the one that recently just happened this past week in new york uh the return as you guessed rich of larry david as bernie sanders and a rather surprise appearance from our host before the cold open reprising her role of elaine bennis from seinfeld what are what are your overall thoughts about this democratic debate sketch so, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about, you know, you know, the, there is the problem of uh, we know it's going to be a debate sketch. We kind of know where a lot of this is going to go. You know, the audience now, Larry David, show, show, once you see two podiums for a political debate, there's no question in any viewer's mind, is there going to be an appearance of Larry David? We know that they wouldn't be doing this sketch if, it, if Larry David wasn't in the house. So that we know. I actually had thought when it started, I thought, oh, you know, I wonder if we're going to see Julie Louis-Dreyfus in this playing as a third uh, person in the convention, Selena Meyer, her mm. character from V. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's where they're going. That could be interesting. So obviously very surprised that instead she's going to play uh, Elaine from Seinfeld, which I didn't see coming at all. Yeah. So I would say when this sketch started off, I mean, I know I think the last time we saw the Clinton versus Bernie 
aspects with McKinnon and David, I think was actually all the way back in like October. I think we've obviously yeah. seen the two impressions yes. happen, but we've never but had separate. An, yeah, I mean, yeah. We never had an outright, like let's have a debate because the last time we saw that, that was when the Kent, you know, Martin O'Malley was in there. Alec Baldwin was in there. So there was, there were still people in there, but it was pretty much associated around the two of them. That being said, I mean, I feel like both characters have very strong games up to this point. I think SNL has done a great job of writing for them, but it did seem a little trite to me just because like we didn't get any too much new stuff coming out of either one of them, except for that little slap fight, uh, which I thought was, yes. was pretty funny to watch Hillary Clinton actually become that violent. But for me, it definitely took a turn when not, you know, we had the black question at first, which I think was uh, poignant and very interesting considering that the question was asked. And it's something that's been talked about in the news about Hillary Clinton's uh, previous involvement with this incarceration bill but it really took a turn when we started taking questions from the new york audience and to start was julia louis dreyfus as elaine bennis so rich first of all are you a seinfeld fan and second of all how did you enjoy uh, elaine's appearance and the myriad seinfeld references that were made over the course (laughs) of like 30 seconds yeah, obviously, no surprise, you know, huge fan, seminal, you know, seminal work of art, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, I, I am not uh, someone who thinks that every episode of Seinfeld is fantastic. I think there were definitely misses in there. But overall, no question, one of the greatest shows ever written and solid and so fun that she was game to do it. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I think actually Elaine probably has the, the is probably the least deep caricatures of the characters on the show. So her is Elaine, she wasn't actually doing that much that wasn't sort of standard fare. It wasn't like, other than throwing out some catchphrases, there wasn't like Oh, this is imagine if you put Elaine into this situation, yeah. she will react unlike any other character. Um, so, you know, whatever, uh, you know, but a lot of it was fun, fun to see references. I, it did make me laugh that they made such a meal out of yada, yada, yada. It was such a perfect thing to bring up, in, you know, with Bernie Sanders and a lot of his stuff. It was ironic that this is a classic Seinfeld thing that was written years after Larry David left the show. He wasn't actually part of that thing, but but just such a fun sort of play on on, you know, you know, what I think is already a good criticism of Bernie Sanders, which is like you keep glossing over this. So the yada, yada, yada stuff was very fun. So I liked it. I like the energy. If I'm splitting hairs, I wish that she would have been in the same frame as them mm-hmm. so that she was physically interacting with the two of them as opposed to cutting away. She was obviously on a different set in 8H and they kept cutting to her. So you didn't get the same exact chemistry that I would have liked. Um, but just very fun it wasn't necessarily hilarious but i just thought it was very fun and a very fun way to just sort of kick all this off i do wonder just thinking about these celebrities sometimes because i know like patrick stewart for example if you bring up captain john luke picard he does not want to speak about it i wonder if any of these seinfeld cast members and julia louis dreyfus specifically just because she probably has had the biggest career of the four outside of the show like if someone says okay you're gonna go do seinfeld stuff like how much do you have to pull teeth to get her to do that or do you think she was like more than well Welcome to come back and start asking about yada, 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 and do the your bald exclamation. Well, I would guess, you know, not having a crystal ball, I would guess that if Larry David were not there, we would not have seen Elaine Bennis. I think that mm-hmm. it was really, even though ironically, Larry David, we know him from on camera from Curb. We don't know him as an on camera character from Seinfeld. I still think this was sort of a homecoming. And I think that she played into it. Obviously, many years have passed. So it's it's not uh, it's not as recent. I think she hosted 10 years ago and didn't yeah. do a Seinfeld thing. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think this had more to do with Larry David and it made it a little bit more sort of a a welcoming home kind of thing for for the character. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really interesting take as well to have these like famous TV characters who happen to be from New York asking these questions. I almost kind of wish that was the entire sketch because I feel like you started plumbing the depths here with Elaine and then you we have Rachel Green, we have Vanessa Bayer's fantastic impression make a return appearance in a sketch, which I feel like is the like nega Stefan in that it started in a weekend right. update thing and then became part of a sketch. We have our requisite yeah. Bill Cosby joke. Were there any New York characters that you felt like got left on the cutting room floor, unfortunately? 
I don't because I, do, I I almost felt maybe opposite than you, which I felt like this was a way to pad the Elaine Bennis sketch. And it was like, well, what else do we do here? And I'm sure at one point you might have had uh, Bobby Moynihan as George Costanza or someone, you know, maybe Taron Killam as as Kramer. And they were just like, yeah, you know what? Let's lose it. That's it, it doesn't really work here. Uh, so that's my guess where it was. Um, but I but. So I, I didn't miss anyone because I think once the Elaine stuff done, I was like, OK, I think we're good. I think we can wrap it up. What did you think of the live from New York? Because it did involve yeah. La- it did involve Larry David. But in my opinion, it was much more energetic than he's ever done before. Yeah, because, you know, obviously I love the fact that Julia runs across to the other stage, jumps in between them. Kate is known for big live from New York. Uh, so it was great. And I think that, you know, I think uh, Larry's energy was lifted by the other two. So great way to go into the show. So he just basically needs the two of them flanking him every time he makes a return appearance. It has to do the exactly. call to the monologue. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Speaking- He's got to be a supporting player in the live from New York for it to really pay off. Definitely. Speaking of the monologue, yeah. let's jump in here. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is back for the third time as you said uh, she previously appeared in 2006 and 2007 so it's been almost 10 years since the last time she's been on but I remember a good number of sketches she had done before uh, I think in the same episode in her, in her first appearance that was that one sketch with making a MySpace page where all the like the the pervs were sitting around her all the guys in mustaches and I also remember the <laughs> charades one where every gesture that Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character was given was sexual in some sort of way like she had mm-hmm. to mime like shaking dice uh so she's back for the third time she is pulling what I would call a little bit of a Sarah Silverman in that she's sort of poking fun at the show for putting her very under the radar, uh, including, you know, a, a surprise Ed Grimley appearance as well. <laughs> that was really nice diving into those, that archival footage. But we also get a little bit of her filmography as well. And she's poking a lot of fun of herself with her appearances in Troll and Soul Man. Uh, Rich, have you seen either one of those films? I have seen Soul Man. <laughs> I regret to say I have seen Soul Man. It was back in the day. It was a perennial HBO daytime go to movie. I couldn't possibly imagine it being on HBO right now. Uh, but back in the day, it was pretty common. I have not seen Troll, although I did wonder, didn't that look like her husband, Brad Hall, in Troll as the main character? Because it was. Ah, OK. Also SNL alumni. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, leave it to a cheap movie like that that was able to, you know, say, oh, you're a package deal. You're a husband and wife. Perfect. I can write a new character. You can be the gypsy sidekick of the troll. I've seen either right. one. I've seen Troll 2, which has no link to the movie Troll and is about goblins, but it's another fantastically bad movie. <laughs> uh, and then on top of this, we get a little bit of talk about Veep with a surprise appearance by Tony Hale. Now, first of all, Rich, are you a viewer of Veep? And if so, how did you feel about Tony Hale's guest appearance here at the very end of the monologue? You know, I'm actually not a Veep fan. Veep for me is one of those shows that all the people who I respect love the show and I try to watch it and it's always funny, but it never it compels me to want to watch another episode. I don't know why. So I, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I, I certainly see how good it is. Uh, and it's certainly fine. And I thought t- Tony Hale did a very, it was a nice throwaway, a throw. It was a nice call uh, to, to the, where he's holding the cue cards. I certainly did not see that coming. Uh, so yeah. And, and I know the show well enough to know the character and sort of how they played it so i thought it was a fun little a fun little bit yeah see i am one of those aforementioned people i am a big fan of veep in fact uh i was recently on this week's most shows recapped talking about a slew of shows including veep i'm very recent fan of veep i've only watched the first four seasons in the past like month and i i think personally it's the strongest comedic ensemble on television today um and so i was happy to see tony hale there it reminded me a little bit of one of the one of the emmys that she won because julia louis dreyfus now has won so many times that she kind of does bits one of them was uh she her she had tony hale and anna klumsky in the audience playing their roles so you know tony hale went up with her and was whispering things in her ear it cut to anna klumsky in the audience on the blackberry so when i saw that at first i thought oh great we're gonna get you know matt walsh we're gonna get dan stevens we're gonna get you know we're gonna we're gonna get gary cole we're gonna get all these people so i was a little saddened that it was only one appearance and that it also like didn't really 
land for me, but it also might be because one of the things I like about Veep is the vitriolic cursing behind it. I mean, as <laughs> Selena, Selena Meyer, Julia Louis-Dreyfus launches into these profane-laden speeches directed at everyone on her staff. She had to say, you know, Tony, what the F are you doing? Like, that does not land nearly as well when you have to do it clean for television. Uh, so yeah. to me, it was a little disjointed, but I still enjoyed the monologue overall. Yeah, I thought that I would bet that they would love to have had more people. I'm sure, you know, Matt Walsh wasn't saying, no, I, I, I don't want to do Saturday Night yeah. Live. I suspect that that was the powers that be at SNL saying it's not that big of a show. Uh, feel free to have Tony Hale on, but you, you, we can't do a whole bit about this. So I agree. I thought this was a very pleasant, fun sort of collection of bits and pieces that became a monologue that I think was a very serviceable way to start the show. So let's move into our first of two commercials of the night for Heroin AM. And this is one of those classic pull out the rug from under you in the middle where it sounds like we cut to parents that are saying, you know, I want to feel energized. I want to do things while still have a family. And it turns out that the solution is something called heroin AM, which is essentially heroin that makes you more productive. Uh, what are your overall <laughs> thoughts on the heroin AM commercial? You know, I, I definitely liked it. I think this was more of a, oh, wow, they're going there than actual, like, once we establish what the sort of comedy premises of its heroin that doesn't make you so drowsy. I don't know that they necessarily then took it to a lot of interesting places. Um, I, I don't know that the, the sort of the, the underpinnings and the justification of it ne necessarily made a lot of sense. So for me, it was more just a sort of classic old timey essay. SNL 75 1976 sketch where it's more like oh wow they're they're just making heroin jokes okay uh so I definitely liked it I thought that she was a great anchor to the sketch um the production value of it was great I mean the box of heroin am really made me laugh so a, a lot of funny stuff there my nitpicky thing I think I give this sort of a b if I'm rating the sketch that, you know, I thought when once we realized it's heroin AM, I thought maybe where we're going is because so many narcotics are already legal or basically other forms of heroin that they're sort of being like, why not? Or I thought there was going to be some sort of underlying message maybe mm -hmm. underneath it. And it was just like, nope, we're just going to do some funny stuff about imagine if you. Uh, could take heroin. Also, there's a bit where we see Beck Bennett in, with the heroin AM. He's kind of wandering around lost. And I was like, oh, wait, so is the comedic premise that you're actually not that awake or you are fully functional? It, it was a little bit muddy for me. But but that said, overall, I thought it was fun. Yeah, the Beck Bennett stuff was actually my favorite part because, you know, they did the dramatic before and after photos where the before is him talking about like, when I used to take care of when I was listless and it shows him just lying face down in the grass. And this is like, yeah. look at me now. And he's just, as you said, just aimlessly wandering about uh, to quote Rob Cesarino in abstentia. To me, this was more fun than funny. I think it was yeah. an interesting concept once we initially found out what it was, but then there weren't too many things, you know, that made me laugh uproariously i think we need to see them on heroin almost and so when at the end when we see you know from julia louis dreyfus's perspective her husband and son are like these weird green monsters that was pretty fun and i like you know yeah. they're hitting the beats of the typical medicine commercial they say like side effects include well it's heroin so yeah right uh, so yeah. I, I liked that you know how they were essentially mapping those things out and i think I would actually say these sketches surprisingly had very good buttons on the end of them. When SNL's one of SNL's main problems is that they don't know how to end sketches. I feel like a lot of these sketches tonight really ended very well, or at least they ended in a resolving note instead of just leaving yes. leaving the, the music musical piece hanging. And they did it here where it turns out that Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character was a bus driver, which I think was, again, yes. a nice little capper to be like, oh yeah, who's the person, who's the least likely person you want to see on heroin at the moment? It's someone who's handling your kids. Yes, I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So, Laya, I would say a lot of funny. I would also agree with, you know, in the chat room, the uh, E-Meth sketch that we had seen in the Tina Fey uh, season premiere of last year, the year before. I think so, yeah. I, I, I think was was a stronger, uh, a stronger sort of parody of, you know, e-cigarettes. Uh, but yeah, this was definitely fun. So let's move into our first live sketch of the night, post-monologue. Uh, huge jewelry. I don't know what SNL loves about Long Island accents, but apparently we're, <laughs> we're bringing it back out. It's Bronx Beat 2. It's like Bronx Beat combined with marble columns. As uh, Julia yeah. Louis-Dreyfus and Kate McKinnon, who are going to be like the power couple of the night, in my opinion, are talking about their yes. business where essentially they give out huge pieces of jewelry to accentuate the body. 
Yeah, I I would say similar to what we were saying about the last sketch. Again, I really liked this as more fun than funny. Um, I like that Jericho Turnpike got a shout out because I used to live very close to Jericho Turnpike. So that was great. Um, you, you know, fun characters, uh, some fun. You know, I liked the sort of, you know, the daughters coming on and uh, a lot of sort of fun stuff. Um, I don't think anything in here was necessarily hilarious in and of itself. But, you know, just just fun characters. And, and I thought good energy sort of just kind of moved along nicely. Yeah. I mean, I think the, what did you think the characters specifically that Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Kate McKinnon were playing? I feel like those were characters that like almost like the Californians that you could tell they were having a lot of fun with. I know Julia grew up in New York City. I don't know. I think Kate might have grown up either in like Long Island or in New Jersey or something like that. So they're both from the area. So they totally understand where they're coming from. I feel like the sketch got stronger for me as it went along. Once you realize the game is that people are, you know, sacrificing their body safety to create this huge jewelry. It really hit for me when AD Bryant comes out and she has, you know, the giant earrings with the shoulder braces underneath them to support them. And she explains how like it'll rip your earlobes right out. Uh, and then, you know, it kept getting bigger and bigger. Also, big night for the props department as well with all this physical comedy, specifically when, uh, you know, Sashir and Vanessa come out with the pearl either in the front or the back and they say it's filled with dirt. Uh, so I thought, you know, these were giggly but not laugh out loud funny. Uh, but we do get an, a surprise appearance from the end by Nick Jonas as Anthony Marcos Prince Mortadella. I don't remember from your talk on the Russell Crowe show. Did you guys make any guesses as to wearing as to where uh, Nick would appear in the show? Yes. I don't think that we actually discussed whether we'd see him or not. For me, it was a no brainer that the same thing I think I had said about Selena Gomez when she hosted. I think that any of those, uh, you know, Disney Channel alumni, Nickelodeon alumni, you're definitely going to see him in a sketch. You know, you could you know, he comes out and the screams that you got, there were more, uh, I think, Jonas Brothers fans in the room than there were Seinfeld fans. So, uh, you you know, certainly uh, totally got it. It made a lot of sense. Uh, And I thought he did a, a fine job. I, I thought he was a, you know, he, he was, you know, you're going to bring him out, get a nice laugh. I think you needed to sort of change it up one more time and do something a little bit different. So I thought it was fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I thought the sketch in a way sort of the, the crazier it got with the needing a support shoulder supports for the for the earrings and stuff and finding out that her earlobes had been ripped off and all that stuff was really funny. I did think every time they kept talking about that huge jewelry was better. I thought they were I thought I'm happy that it was not ultimately a Donald Trump thing because mm-hmm. I thought they were going yep. for like, a, oh, eventually this is a Donald Trump thing that huge is better than whatever. So that that sort of whatever. But yeah, I thought, uh, you know, a fun energy to end it with Nick Jonas and then we're sort of on to the next. Yeah. So as it's being alluded to in the chat room, Nick Jonas has, you know, he was a Disney Channel kid, so he had his own show with his brothers. He's appeared in movies and Scott St. Pierre informed us that he's uh, on a show called Kingdom, which I know is a direct TV show about MMA fighting. And he's one of the leads in that so and and he was in scream queens as well yes so it's very clear that like he has a very storied past i remember he was also on like the les miserables like 25th anniversary concert as well so if that's the case i'm actually a little saddened that you know his two guest appearances that he's going to have this episode are for him to like come in and be a joke at the end to say like hey i'm hot isn't that great and i feel like you know if you have more to work with in terms of an acting palette it would have been more fun to see him try something else yeah, and I would say, you know, we're going to talk about the next sketch. For me, I know, it, the rule of cameos, one and done. See how Larry David does it. See how Tony Hale does it. We don't need to see basically the same exact sort of beat in a live sketch and then a pre-tape sketch of like, oh, and Nick Jonas is a hot guy. So I, I clearly could have done without that. Maybe it's a preview of when Nick Jonas hosts SNL, what all the jokes are going to be about. I think it, I think it's just a matter of time. Yes. So let's yeah. let's cut to the pool boy pre-tape sketch. Uh, so this to me again also kind of represents the general night for me, which was like I think all these sketches were very solid, but for the most part they didn't go anywhere. So it's sort of the opposite problem of when I appeared on the Jonah Hill episode. My opinions were that the sketch just like went on too long and went to wild and weird and crazy places here. It was okay. They got their basics down, but they didn't really rise above that line. And that's what pool boy represents to me. I I still had a lot of fun with it. I think Pete Davidson in particular did a great job of kind of being the straight man, but sort of clueless pool boy. But at the same time, 
I do kind of feel like they didn't really have anywhere to go. Julia Louis-Dreyfus just kept going back to the same beats over and over again. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I will agree with you and I will disagree with you, um, which makes me uh, eligible to run for Senate. (laughs) I would say that uh, I I totally agree with you. And yet, for some reason, I liked that. I liked that as she just continued on and on, that there was no change from Pete Davidson. It was just like, yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Okay. Like, I did think that I I think we could have trimmed 30 seconds out of it, but I did like that she kept being torn and he just didn't care. Um, I will say, I don't know that I'd go back and watch this again, but watching it, uh, I thought it was definitely fun. I, 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 and for, in this instance, I thought the fact that it didn't evolve, actually, I kind of liked that. Uh, but that's a rare thing for me to say. I'm also pretty surprised that this wasn't a Kyle Mooney role. Cause I feel like he would also do pretty well as sort of the slack jawed dope. Yeah, yeah. I think, though, I think if Kyle Mooney's in this role and part of the writing staff, the character's going to have more to do. I think that I I doubt Pete Davidson wrote this, but he may have. Um, But I like that Pete Davidson is very comfortable doing little and actually getting big laughs, but with very little, which I think is is something that the SNL, uh, you know, the show needs to have in its arsenal as we need big and wacky and we which we're about to see. And we also need need small and minute which i think in this case worked really well i think kyle it would have become more of a thing which i could have passed let's go big and wacky as you just mentioned it's the return of cinema classics from what i researched i think this is the first appearance of cinema classics this season i might be wrong about that though yeah no you're right i reese de what (laughs) oh boy this this was an uh boy from beginning to end. Oh, this was I I my I could my my TV set started to perspire the flop sweat of this <laughs> sketch through the plasma screen. Um this was a tough one for me. I and I, I mean you could sort of break it down into two pieces. The Reese to what? I feel like this is what I don't like about Keenan, which is just, hey, I'm gonna try to make a meal out of two graham crackers and a grape. And 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 it's just this nothing piece of nothing that we don't need. And then the piece itself, I uh, you know, it just I just didn't work for me. It just to me flat out didn't work. I, but I could be alone. Well, so with the Reese to what stuff, it's weird because you talk about this mad lib stuff and it's odd that they went they did mad libby stuff with like the sub game to this stuff almost you know like the main game is obviously the stuff going on on the show but the sub game is what's going on with reese to what that they decide to say okay reese to what is a bad guesser every time we have him on let's make him talk about how he insulted his wife and ruined an important day um i can't remember the ones that he's done in the past but i feel like you know ivf visit is a little bit scaled back from like anniversary or something else yeah, I, yeah, I, this, the the whole med lip of it all, and it also just gets so ridiculous. Like he's now, you know, I'm the worst guesser. My wife, why my wife asks me X, and I reply Y in a thing that's not even in the. Scheme of a, a, a married guy might say that, but mm-hmm. it's exaggerated for comic effect. It's just some like ridiculous thing that that we I just can't buy into. So let's dive into the talk about the show itself, which is essentially Julia Louis Dreyfus. She's adopting a method, uh, a method method of basically hiding her lines around the set so that when she discovers them, she you know has a genuine reaction, and that leads to a lot of physical and prop humor. I'll admit, after watching this entire sketch, I'm extremely confused why they didn't take the second scene and the first scene and flip-flop them. Because you start Mm. with the words literally being printed on the set. That, to me, is more outrageous than her going through stuff on a counter and just reading the bottom of it. You know, I feel like you literally start small and you work your way to big. Yeah, it was such an odd one for me because the very first thing that we see is we see her line written on a mirror that the camera can easily see as opposed to it written on a a seashell that she quote unquote, accidentally reveals to the camera that we, we start we started with completely implausible. There's no there's no world in which this base reality makes any sense. So it was sort of a hard thing to build from. Uh, I agree that then sort of her having to search for the things 
was an interesting turn, but it also it just made less and less sense. Like, why would why would all of these things be either in view of the camera or so hard for her to read? It was just this was just I don't know. I, I I'm just trying to explain why the Titanic sank. I it just this was a tough one again. Yeah, and I mean again, all kudos to Julia Louis Dreyfus for at the end literally dragging herself across and still trying to do this you know 1940s starlet delivery but again i enjoyed what she was doing i think there was a great moment where i don't know if it was her breaking or not where she tried to chug the tumbler of liquid in order to see at the bottom and she had to stop in the middle to be like oh god okay uh so it could be you know that could be a little tongue-in-cheek thing or it could be her actually just breaking and being like wow i didn't realize i have to drink this much but this was one that i feel like did peter out a little bit it didn't have as good of a button as some of these other uh sketches that we're talking about i do feel like you know as much as we kind of uh throw dirt on reese to what i feel like cutting back to him did serve his function we did get an oh boy out of him um and you know keenan Keenan was the great person to kind of cut to and taron did a great job as the straight man as well as the persistently exasperated scene partner who has to deal with all this and is trying to tell her like yes kiss is it written on my chest not kick what are you doing oh god get me off of this set yeah no i agree the the performances definitely were great and to that extent i think this is the trouble with you know this sign of a sketch where she's doing such strong physical comedy is going to kill with a live audience because you're in the room as she's throwing herself across the room and 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 throwing things around but i think for us at home we're losing some of that energy and then because it's live it's not as tight as a as a physical comedy sketch like this needs to be because it's not edited. The, the spaces aren't edited out. So I felt like you just there was a couple of times where I'm waiting for her to get to the next word or the next line, be, and the physical comedy just couldn't have the same tightness. So for me, I thought it was really tough. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think we'll experience later in terms of the audience reaction to certain sketches how there might be a disparity between what we're enjoying and the live studio audience might be enjoying. But yeah. something that we're probably enjoying more since we're sitting at home watching it is our next commercial parody which is for Mercedes double A class. And I'll start off by saying, you know, you talked a little bit about the aesthetics that they were using the heroin PM commercial. I think they knocked it out of the park with the aesthetics here with the dark hallway with the lights that are slowly illuminating it. I mean, it looked like one of those John Hamm car commercials, though. This is one about a car that runs on 9,468 <laughs> AA batteries, which is quite a silly, uh, a silly concept to go off of. Yeah, I thought this was, again, I thought this was really fun. I thought that the fun came from how well they mimicked the, a typical car commercial these days. Um, there was no real logic behind it. There was no, uh, there was no justification for the scene. Why would you, why would someone, comedically speaking, why would someone want a car run on AA batteries? They didn't really uh, address that. And there, there was a lot of sort of logic that sort of never made sense. But I think this was, Again, like we said about the uh, about the huge jewelry, I think this was more of a comedy from the prop department than comedy from writers or actors, because just the, the, the you know, all the physical elements of the car and the batteries shooting out the side were just so fun to see. I did wonder, like, did Duracell pay for this as native yeah. advertising? Because it wasn't pro or con Duracell, but they were certainly there. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, the visuals on this were just just really really funny to see and and julia just played it straight what i liked is she didn't ham it up or or uh she didn't cheese up the performance she just was like i'm doing a straight car commercial as a car commercial spokesperson would uh except that it's a car run on batteries yeah i completely agree with that and i love just the fact that they set it up to be like oh it's eco-friendly and then throughout the commercial they point out the immediate fallacies in it like they say oh a top speed of 52 miles per hour here's a touch screen that lets you know what batteries need to be replaced and then you just hear this voice pop up with all the batteries of the 9,000 plus batteries that need to be replaced and i loved uh the extended shot of all the batteries pouring out of the car (laughs) as well and that was very like lonely island will forte-esque in terms of it was a long long shot so i thought they really committed to it and as a result i think i would enjoy that more than i initially thought i would and i thought again another great cap at the end when they say great batteries not included i think it was just a a perfect way to end that sketch it it was one of those i should have seen it coming down a sixth avenue and turning at rockefeller center i didn't see it coming and it was just like 
of course that's how you end the sketch. It was I thought it was so funny. Really well done. So let's segue into some talk about Nick Jonas. We spoke about him from a sketch perspective, but let's talk about him from a musical perspective. Now, in addition to Rob Sesternino, James Keast, the musical correspondent, is also missing as well. So lucky you, listeners, you get to watch Rich and I <laughs> disseminate the two performances of Nick Jonas. Rich, I'd love to hear your thoughts initially about the two performances that we got. Yeah, he was good. Um, I, you know, other than, you know, um, he looked good. He, I mean, I will say this, not being a Nick Jonas fan nor hater, I know nothing about Nick Jonas. He was much more of a competent singer than I would have guessed. I was like, oh, I don't like this kind of music, but this seems like it is good for someone who's trying to sing this kind of music. I was, so it was sort of, it, it was fine to me. It was a, if it was, if it was on DVR the next morning, I probably would have fast forwarded through it, but that has nothing to do with Nick. That was all me. I, I, I thought it was fine. I, I can't really say. Yep. Did, did you have any insights? Well, so Nick performed two songs. The first was a song called close and he duetted uh, with a artist called uh, Tovlo, who apparently was wearing uh, just a see-through shirt. That's, you know, the whole thing, not knowing the music, all I can sort of comment on or the aesthetics of the piece itself. Uh, and the second one was a little more subdued called Champagne Problems. But the two things I will notice are, I don't know if you noticed this, Rich, but uh, after the Ariana Grande jacket gate, we still have some weird jacket issues with the first song where Nick Jonas was wearing a jacket, but also had a jacket tied around his waist as well. I'm not sure if he oh, thought, yeah. I'm not sure if he thought that like one was going to fall off and he'd have another one in reserve because, you know, Nick Jonas does jackets, but that was something that like, I couldn't help pay attention to. And the second one, he takes that mic stand at one point and he starts brandishing it like a, like a saber almost, you know, I don't know if you remember in the heyday of American Idol when Bo Bice used to do like the microphone stand tilt. Oh yeah. But he took like, he, he biced it to a new level there where he's like, he thrust it in the air and he was just sort of parading it around. Uh, so he was clearly enjoying himself up there. Uh, we have a question here from Will that says, didn't Nick Jonas look like he was at a job interview and didn't know what to do with his hands. And he says, <laughs> and I think there actually have been notes from the reviews I've read that he, it did seem a little pre-planned of like, okay, in this shot, I'm going to grab my chest now. D I mean, did that mm -hmm. distract it all from you for the performance? You know, it's a great point. I don't know him well enough to have an opinion about him. So you might be right. I, I, I couldn't say. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the I, I do feel like anytime I'm seeing a Disney or Nickelodeon uh, kid turned rock star, that there's often a very sort of uh, faux uh, casualness to their performance that feels like it's been highly sort of uh, uh, like there was a there's some kind of performance algorithm being run at Nick Jonas Studios to come up with uh, with this performance. Yeah, maybe they had to maybe the Jonas parents sold him to Nickelodeon and they had to name him Nick as a result. I'm surprised, yeah. you know, he wasn't in that uh, that Disney Channel camp. Uh, sketch that they I'm surprised they didn't bring that one out considering that he is a Disney Channel kid yeah exactly yeah so let's jump into weekend update here before we go into our regular correspondence were there any overall jokes between Che and Jost that were highlights for you you know, I don't remember specifically and I have to I, I felt it was pretty solid. Um, you know, I only got to watch it last night. I didn't get to jot any notes down this morning. So uh, I don't remember anything specific that did make me laugh. But uh, generally the Trump and uh, and Sanders comparison, this, the, the fact that they're polar opposites, I thought was a nice piece of business. I thought there were some good jokes in there. Yeah, that was the only extended riff. And usually they've done it where each of them does one. But I guess Michael Che didn't really have any sort of inspirations this week so that was colin's sort of beginning of weekend update and i agree i thought that was a lot of fun specifically i like the line he says where he says you know uh trump spends two hours on his hair every day bernie's barber is the wind uh, yeah so if, if these two men end up being the candidates i feel like there is a lot of potential to mine there yeah yeah i totally agree um and the other a couple ones that i i made note of as well i mean as an apprentice fan i did like the joke about kwame from the apprentice <laughs> and how he works at starbucks because that pretty much represents nearly any reality uh, tv star today that is not running their own network of podcasts uh there was an interesting reaction from the audience on the joke that michael che made about uh dennis kasich and the the college girls about how you know you shouldn't just go to too many parties with alcohol where it left a little bit of a burn on the audience where like they there was kind of murmuring and almost a quieted reaction from them which is very interesting to me 
Yeah, I thought that – I'm not saying I could have written a better joke. I loved the punchline idea of the joke. I think the way it was worded, everyone sort of kind of got it at different moments, which created this weird like, what? Oh, 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 OK, got it. And I think there was more of that than sort of big laughter out of it. I think they were surprised. I think they thought the audience didn't like the joke. I think, in fact, the way it was worded, it took a little bit of a second to get sort of where you were going with yeah. it. I mean, Michael Che's yeah. um, Malaysian airlines joke landed a lot more than that one did <laughs> that was a great joke that was a that was a that was a tough piece of business i like that so we have three correspondents super long weekend update this week two recurring one new uh sandwich in between let's start with our first recurring charles barkley and Shaq. i actually believe they appeared around this time or maybe a few weeks later last year during the scarlett johansson episode and i feel like i can sort of copy what you said about big poppy and paste it with my opinions about these guys we're like <laughs> I'm not a sports guy. There is no reason for me to laugh at them. But for some reason, between Jay Farrow's ridiculous shack and Charles Barkley serving as sort of like his partner in crime, but also have his own sort of gambling issues, I always enjoy when they're on. Yeah, for me, the Jay it just feels so mean. It's such a mean impression. And for all I know, Shaq thinks it's hilarious and really likes it. I don't know. Uh, but it's such a mean impression. They're, and they're literally they're just making fun of his appearance. They're making fun of it. But I like this idea of like when he says something stupid when Charles is like, like, like the blood just can't get to your brain. It stops at your shoulders and says, I'll try again tomorrow. Like some of that stuff was very funny. I, I don't know that there was any brilliant writing here but yes it is it, definitely fun energy between the two of them and i think even with Che sort of worked well the three of them together worked well it was, it was definitely fun and i do agree sometimes they can be a little too much on the shack is stupid train but the one thing that did make me laugh was when they said like oh yeah you know shack's uh and then uh, shack does commercials for icy hot and he goes like oh yeah it's delicious and how they yeah. talk about like putting it on texas toast uh yeah. I, I just feel like you know it that's definitely they're more so a la will ferrell with george w bush or even Kate McKinnon with Hillary Clinton just creating a big caricature instead of an actual imp- uh, accurate impression, which is something that Jerry Farrow usually doesn't do. And you can tell, again, that he's having a lot of fun with that. Let's talk about our new correspondent here, Animal Annie, who is <laughs> A.D. Bryant. Uh, it's basically, I would almost compare it to like Willie with animals and that this is a horribly depressed, yeah. unlucky woman who is basically putting animal facts out there and ascribing them to her lifestyle. Yeah, it's funny. I thought it's similar. It's like sort of like a Kristen Wiig crossed with Willie kind of character on Weekend Update. Um, you know, nice to see AD sort of play a character like this. Uh, you know, again, very patterny. So we kind of kind of know where things are going. Here's a real animal quote. Here's something that about my life, very much of a pattern. But it was good. I thought she brought good energy to it. She's fun. Uh, and I certainly thought, you know, house, you know, to bring out the animal at the end was certainly really a fun way to sort of tie it up. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't on board from the beginning just because, as you said, I, I thought it might kept go- keep going as sort of a one-note thing. But, you know, when she starts saying, you know, when I was born, I was the size of an Easter ham and then my dad left. I mean, <laughs> I'm into that sort of dark style of comedy. You know, to go off of what you guys were talking about with Bruce Chandling, I will agree that wasn't his strongest appearance, but that's like my style of like anti-comedy darkness that I really enjoy. Um, So once she started going down that path and she was, you know, outright talking to her ex, Daniel, uh, and I do like the whole run (laughs) about the the iguana having two penises and then for some reason (laughs) them thinking that Michael Che is going to enjoy that joke. Yeah, it made no sense why Michael they did that, but definitely made me laugh. Yeah, and it was a little weird that they brought up the iguana having two penises and then having her new boyfriend be an iguana, if only just to cut back to Che again. I thought that was a little weird in terms of time, in terms of timing. Yes, but it was hard for me to knock that because the fact that they'd put a hat on the iguana had me giggling the whole time. A that great, was, great fedora. Uh, again, again, the props department coming through with a with a iguana hat, iguana fedora. Perfect. You know, the iguana with the fedora made me think of the Casablanca skit, which was the J.K. Simmons episode, which makes me think of the last time we saw this character, I believe, which is the one dimensional female character from a male driven comedy, a.k.a. Heather. I believe she was sort of in this Jebediah Atkinson place of like she premiered last winter and was a big hit so they brought her back like a month later and it totally failed so this is her third time back of the three appearances rich where does this one fall for you 
I would say second of three. I think that certainly the the first one for me was the funniest because it was the most novel. We didn't know where it was going. You got to take the easiest shots and you could land comedically because we haven't seen it before. Um, This was very sort of different because we sort of, which I was happy about, we sort of broke the, the, the mold a little bit. And this is the first time that she starts talking about the movie convention, not only the conventions within the fictional narrative, but actually about the movie itself. Like, and then you won't see me for 45 minutes. And then like, if they gave me any more lines, they'd have to pay me as much as a man and like really funny. So uh, I don't think this was the funniest thing that we're going to see on weekend update, but I, I, I quite enjoy this. I think the writing is strong. Their performance is really good. It's not hilarious. It's not big joke hilarious, but it just it always sort of always tickles me. Yeah. This was super biting. I felt, especially, you know, as I said, they talked in the beginning, they started pretty much on the same level that they did with the other two. You know, she made this comment about, you know, I I play 18 to 27, but I date 40 and up. The fatter, the better. Yeah. And so I think yeah. she did, you know, I think one of the problems with the second uh, iteration in particular was that she, it's tough to have a conversation with that. Sometimes, you know, with Stefan and Seth Meyers, for instance, they could at least have a sort of rapport going. Here, it was just, she was just kind of, denying him conversation and almost going on her own rants but once she really gets into as you talked about breaking down the conventions of the movie itself starting with this lengthy story about how she's gonna go to a baseball game and (laughs) she's gonna you know brush past her friend with her butt and he's gonna get a boner and you're gonna accidentally grab it in front of the kiss cam was perfect and then as you said you know she keeps she really gets dark near the end here talking about like you know i can't talk or they're talk more or they're gonna have to pay me the same as a man this really sad thing about i'm I sneeze into a Kleenex full of semen and nobody's <laughs> going to tell me. And they're talking about this like cartoon fish as well that says like, I don't see a lot of bush <laughs> these days. Like I felt like they were really taking that concept and really amping it up to 10 and especially ending it with her saying, well, I usually, you know, when I'm not on screen, I usually just turn off and to have her actually physicalize that and, and actually turn off as if she was a cyborg was a really fun way to end it in my opinion. Yeah, and I think what works about this for me is a lot of the ridiculous things that they're talking about, like the whole the, the whole baseball game. You're like, yep, that's a movie. And even, you know, her blowing her nose into a Kleenex, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see that in a Farrelly Brothers movie, maybe a Judd Apatow movie. Uh, like, yeah, that, that that absolutely could be in a, in a film and would get a huge laugh out of the context of remember that there's a woman playing this character. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that they ground this. And then when they get to the point that, oh, and she's dealing with a talking fish, like, yeah, OK, now like it, and they blew it out nicely. So I definitely like that. So let's get to our first post update sketch here. It is a game show entitled Who Works Here? And surprise, surprise, Rich, the Long Island sketch is not the most New York humor based (laughs) sketch of the night, as they literally say, coming to you from a CVS on the corner of 14th and 1st. (laughs) Yeah, I I would say, uh, you know, again, if we could have trimmed out about 30 percent of this sketch, I would say it might have been one of my favorites. That said, I still think it was fun. Uh, I love the idea of just trying to, you know, and I think definitely Vanessa Bayer's interaction, uh, you know, was probably the best of just like, excuse me, excuse, hello, excuse me, do you work? Like, it's just all of that stuff was really funny. And, you know, you can you can sub in a lot of places, not just CVS. But I thought this was so came from a very real place and they blew it out really well. Uh, I'd say it did for me start to lag, although the Bobby Moynihan saves the day when he's got those tides and he's like, I work here, I work here, I work here, I work here. Just Jen and I were just laughing so hard at that. And they're like, hmm, this is a tough one. I'm not sure. All of that was just real. That so so very fun little fact for me little could it could have tightened it up yeah i mean first of all i think this is bobby's like maybe only big appearance of the night i know he does appear in the the heroin am commercial but this is really his only big starring role of the night so maybe he took up that shift at you know bubba gumps or or whatever you talked about when you uh, allude to him not being on the show to me i mean i feel like they sort of chopped a lot of the game show conventions when they said like we're not even gonna have give the contestants qualities they're just gonna be really 
really, as Julia alludes to, dull people. And I feel like game shows are always an uphill battle with SNL because you have to take so long to explain the rules and introduce the contestants. And I feel like when you're putting that much exposition, you know, it's not like you can do a title card like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer to just briefly describe what it's going to be like. But that being said... I still enjoyed it. I think I loved it the more ridiculous it got. You know, I think for me, it got really funny when Bobby was out there, specifically when it says, you know, he technically works, but as a prostitute in the store, (laughs) not as an overall employee. Uh, But I feel like it really built to a fervor during the lighting round when you just have you have Keenan and you have Pete Davidson, but you have these random extras just sort of walking around aimlessly in the dark. I feel like it was at its maximum level of goofiness. The Leslie Jones thing, eh, I I I could do without. I didn't need her dancing like you know Vince in uh, in Vince in Pulp Fiction. Uh, I I I think it was fine just ending with Kate McKinnon being the ghost with woman holding the <laughs> fishbowl. And I thought again, really strong ending here where Julia Louis Dreyfus says like, oh well, I choose who won, but I don't actually work here. I feel like it was a yeah. pitch perfect ending for that. It was sketch. yeah, that one I did see coming. But again, you're absolutely right. I would say uh, a couple of things to what you said. Uh, one, did you have the same experience when Leslie Jones came out? Out, I, I thought to myself, oh, I thought Leslie Jones was off tonight. Like, I think it was literally her first even small role, and given how predominant she's been in some episodes late this the second half of the season, I was just assumed she wasn't even in the room. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing you're saying about the game show thing, I think you're right. And I think this I brought this up, I think it was last week or maybe the week before that, you know, we as Americans in 2016, we don't watch game shows. So unless you're, uh, you know, there yeah, are there game shows on? Yes. But, you know, so is as, as we were saying in the chat room, if it's if you're doing a parody of Family Feud or Hollywood Game Night or a very specific on the air game show, that's one thing. But making up game shows, it's sort of a feel it has this feel of like why we don't we like so i i do wonder if maybe they might have been better served trying to do the idea of i don't even know who works in this freaking store not as a game show but as some other format that said i don't have any suggestions of what but i think it is a hard it's a hard format to keep going back to in 2016 because it's kind of like let's do a parody of a radio show maybe reese de what should open up the game show format because it's such an old outdated format these days yeah i completely agree with that and maybe you know reached to what as he was alluding to on cinema classics i don't think we talked about it was saying you know like why are we still doing this and maybe that was them the writers saying like okay maybe we'll put an end to it so who knows we might see reese to what hosting you know reese to what's question hour next time we have a game show parody yeah yeah so let's go to uh nick jonas performed again as we spoke about before let's talk about this meet and match uh where <laughs> It seems to be a sort of speed dating at a bar, but Kate McKinnon and Julia Louis-Dreyfus are aliens who need to take someone in order to basically repopulate their planet, which is a dying because the bi stars are dimming, apparently. Yeah, I, you know, hey, it's 10 to 1. Okay, you know, all right, it's 10 to 1. I I don't know that this was – I think that this probably played great at the table read. It's one of those kind of sketches that I think probably got a lot of laughs when everyone's sitting around reading it. I don't know that it worked for me. I think I liked the idea early on that they were – clearly aliens but not but not actually saying they were aliens and then i don't want to say lazy writing not that i can write better but like the right it was surprising that then in the writing they do actually talk about being aliens which was like why are you undercutting your own premise that you set up 85 seconds ago so that was an odd one uh makeup was fun the eyes were definitely sort of a fun piece to it the voice was sort of fun um but i i was sort of waiting for this to be over to be honest it was like okay this wasn't a bad sketch it just wasn't necessarily a, a good sketch it was just okay we kind of get it i feel like they would have got a lot more mileage out of it if they had not started with the fog rolling in and them coming in uh, I was almost reminded of the sketch that we actually had talked about when when I had subbed on before that Christmas sketch with Amy Adams, where her and Cecily Strong and Kate McKinnon turn out to be like raccoons. And it's just oh, yeah. that they start off relatively normal, but yes. then they just keep behaving in really odd ways. And so I thought it could have been completely fine if they're like, OK, let's go around the room and introduce ourselves. And then it ran, you know, they go through the, the relatively normal names and then it cuts to the two of them just looking super strange. And then you kind of have to piece it together. Then maybe 
your expositional writing would come in handy. Uh, but this one also felt very long. I would think after they took Taryn and Kyle's fedora wearing characters, which again, I guess the fedora was the prop of the night here. Uh, yeah. When they take them into the closet and they come out and they're skeletons, I thought that would be a way to end the sketch, but they kept going with it, which I guess I was happy about because the strongest part of the sketch for me might've been when Vanessa Bayer was there and maybe this is before or after I can't remember. And they do that weird little gesture. And then she starts bleeding <laughs> from the nose yeah. that by far between their commitment, Vanessa's commitment was the strongest part of the sketch in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I thought your point was great. I hadn't thought about it, but in retrospect, I, I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent. If they had started out just looking and acting like regular women, but it introduced themselves as the Joan and yeah. the Barbara and been like, mm, that's odd. And let us build to the point where they're actually willing Vanessa Bayer to have a nosebleed and, and, you know, like would have been really, really, I think more fun. And it's a, it's a great note. Yeah, and it's also reminded me a little bit of that uh, the Greg is not an alien thing that The Rock and Bill Hader did. Uh, yeah. and so I feel like, you know, these these cast members must have, a, must have a great time doing this stuff. I thought the voice modulation stuff was interesting as well, though I don't know if it was picked up on the West Coast feed, which, but on the East Coast feed, there was one little blip where you heard Kate McKinnon's regular voice come out. Yes. Oh, and sometimes it was both the voices. Sometimes it was just her voice when she talked out of turn. So it's always fun, you know, as someone who comes from live theater, I love kind of seeing those gaffes happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought, yeah, we had the same thing here. But, uh, you know, so, and again, we've seen way worse and way less funny at 1250 at night. So I sort of give it a pass. So let's finish up here. Our last sketch of the night. That was our last live sketch. We end with a pre-tape, surprisingly, for the trailer for God is a Boob Man, which never would I ever think that the last thing seen on the show might be my favorite. But to be honest, this might be my favorite thing of the night. Oh, that's interesting. I, I'd be interested to hear your take. You know, I'll say for me, here's my thought. I think this has been in the can for a bit. I think that they shot this at some point early on. I think that they felt like eh, it didn't quite work. So let's save it. I think that the they were probably short on time tonight, as we do see from a very long sort of closing credits. For me, I, I loved Every individual piece of this. I loved her. I loved the premise. I loved the gaze. I loved them being sued. I loved everything about it, but it didn't add up to a working sketch for me. And I can't tell you why. But for me, it just I never quite got her with the point of her like in the fictional world what she was supposed to go on uh, i don't know i can't quite t i can't tell you quite tell you what it was but i i didn't like it as much as you did but i'm glad you did because i did love all of these parts of the, of the pieces parts yeah i guess for you the sum isn't equal to the whole of its parts uh which i and again we're talking about like pitch perfect mapping games here i feel like it was fantastic again in terms of they're obviously making parodies of these whole like God's not dead. Heaven is for real. This new sort of surging of pro-Christian yes. films that have come out as of late. And so to have it be about, you know, Vanessa is a is a baker and she, you know, a gay couple asked her to cook. And now she's like taken to court and being sued by the two gay guys and their Jewish lawyer. And so it's fun to see, like, if radicalized Christians made a movie, what would it be like? And you see, like, the big stereotypes of gay, like the Today Sermon, Yes, Queen, I thought was really great touches onto it. There was, for a second, I thought, a chance that when it cuts to Bobby Moynihan as the governor, I thought it was going to be a North Carolina story, uh, like the true story of North Carolina. Right, right, um, right. And they, they pretty much alluded to it, but they weren't going to say They were going for it, yeah. yeah. That being said, um, I was actually pretty surprised that how much they brutalize these movies you know i'm gonna wonder i'm sure lauren michaels does not give a crap but i wonder how many people are gonna complain now to nbc and snl after this sketch aired which essentially completely ran over these movies that a lot of people really enjoy yeah, and I think that what they did in a good way is they didn't do anything like if you wrote your complaint down on paper and read it it would be like what? Like, I don't understand what, what's your problem. Like, and I think that's a, so what I think worked about this was the subtlety of like, when the gay couple is asking for the cake, they're like taunting her about it. Like make us a gay cake or we're like, and it was so smart. Like, yeah, if you believed that the religious right is correct and that they should, have, then that would be how you would imagine the gay couple wanting a cake, which was so ridiculous. And I, so I thought those touches were very funny, but there wasn't all of that. I mean, like you said, in, in the Bobby sketch, when it's like, oh, obesity is up and crime and this and that, you know, oh, you know, gay, a gay couple wants a cake. That's the one thing we're going to focus on. I thought it was like a nice 
nice, brutal sort of slaying of it. But again, if you wrote down that, I'm upset that this would be like, well, that's not they didn't say anything that brutal to me. And I was reminded a little bit of that earlier Beyonce parody when it was, you know, when the day found the day Beyonce yeah. went black, where almost in a similar manner, uh, Sashir is talking to Vanessa and Vanessa says, you know, like yeah. Christians are, you know, the most uh, the oppressed group in the country. And Sashir goes, maybe. And so I feel like sometimes it's always great to kind of cut yeah. back to those people for these issues. By the way, again, I know I keep saying it both in the comments on this podcast, Vanessa Bayer pre-taped MVP in my opinion MVP, every single MVP. time. MVP. I, I made a whole run about that exactly when, during when we talked about the Ronda Rousey episode. She's fantastic in this. And the thing, I guess for me maybe where I got lost is the idea of in the in the in the world of this fictional thing, you need to admit God is gay didn't square up for me as far as like why would that be the thing that these horrible liberals would be asking the persecuted Christian to do. I think maybe that's where they got lost a little bit in the writing of the sketch. So so that kind of lost it for me. But yeah, just Vanessa Bayer just being her is just 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 so solid here. All right, let's finish up here with the Goodnights, Rich. Any big notes about the Goodnights? No, very cordial, very collegial. We see everybody shows up from the from our cameos. A uh, lot of hugs. It seemed like you know, Kate. Not surprisingly, Kate and and uh, Julia had a huge hug, sort of sort of kicking it off, and then a lot of milling about, a lot of fun. Uh, Vanessa looked a little lost at one point. Just I don't know what that's up. That probably has nothing to do with anything, but it's just an odd thing to note. Um, so it was just sort of interesting. I thought that you know, overall was uh, just. Fun, fun good nights and, uh, and and long, at least on the West Coast feed, surprisingly long. Yeah, and I will say uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was a little lost, I feel like, when she was listing off those names sometimes. Uh, but yes. it beats Russell Crowe's random love for the the dead ghost of John Belushi. Um, and yeah. her, her capping it off with like, oh, and everyone else in the world is like a perfect Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I did notice that there wasn't too much contact with Nick Jonas. I don't know how much contact he had with the cast, but at least you see them commiserate a little bit with Nick Jonas. And I didn't see too too much of that so i can only wonder if you know maybe he wasn't so cordial to them or maybe he just didn't appear that much throughout the week could be yeah could be and definitely this was a no moat week this was everyone sort of gang together very excited good energy going into it so interesting i know in the chat room we're saying that there was something was up with bobby i didn't notice it i didn't get to watch it a second time uh but i didn't i didn't get that sense but uh but maybe i missed it could be something interesting there rich any more thoughts about the julia louis dreyfus episode or shall we speculate about when we come back in a few weeks with brie larson uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, again, I think this was a very solid, solid, serviceable episode, Not, very little that we're going to go back in a month and say, oh, my God, remember that sketch. But you know what? I It really amused Jen and I for, you know, 70 of 90 minutes, which is pretty amazing. So I was uh, I was, uh, you know, excited about that. Not as excited as I am about Brie Larson hosting. This is my birthday. This is the birthday show, May 7th for me. I was a huge, huge advocate of Room. Um, I know some people that know Brie Larson uh, through uh, the UCB world here. Uh, I've always heard really amazing things about her uh, tangentially. So I, I'm excited. I, I don't know that she'll necessarily bring the funny, but I think she'll bring great energy. And I love me some Alicia Keys. So uh, I'll actually have something to say when we get to the musical guest. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on the Brie Larson thing, because before she was in Room, she was known for Trainwreck. She was known for yeah. 21, Jump, 21 Street. Jump Street. She's known for Scott yeah. Pilgrim. I think she does a great job of sort of being that deadpan person. Um, Trainwreck, she played less of a deadpan person, but I'm thinking specifically in 21 Jump Street, she's really sarcastic. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, she's a really sarcastic character as well. So I think she definitely has the chops. It'll be interesting because I think a lot of people know her only from room so they'll be a little surprised to see her super dramatic turn hopefully go back to her comedic roots and my overall thoughts about the episode is that i agree i thought it was super solid i think you know if we rank all the episodes uh that have happened so far this one might fall nearer to the middle but it is definitely further up from the bottom big kudos to julia louis dreyfus for putting her all into it and really making the best of these sketches and i think i think most of the sketches they had great endings but overall they took one concept and they stuck with it which on the one hand is great consistency wise but on the other hand doesn't lead you to really go anywhere but that being said i enjoyed this episode and i very much enjoyed getting the opportunity to talk to you about it 
Oh, it was great having you back. Thank you for sitting in. Even if you don't work here, you're still uh, still great to have you. I work here. I work here. I work here. I work here. <laughs> Do you believe me now? So uh, while we're winding things down here, if you have not, please subscribe to the great work that Rob and Rich do on the SNL podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes. Also, follow Rich on Twitter. He is at Rich Tack. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Rob is at Rob Cesternino. Uh, these guys will be back in a few weeks to talk about the Brie Larson, Alicia Keys episode. Special thanks to Scott St. Pierre, as always, for the fantastic work he does behind the scenes. But for yes. now, we're going to say goodnight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you guys in a few weeks. Take care, Have everyone. Have a good couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.